Okay, so like I said, tonight we're going to continue on uh, with our study in suffering. Um, I don't know about you, it's it has been a blessing to me as I've jumped on and heard uh, the teaching about suffering. I remember one night coming on and it was like just what I needed. You know, Pastor shared a few things that really changed my thinking and helped me get my eyes back on the Lord and off um, some of my challenges. But uh, suffering is a part of the human condition. Uh, we will all face suffering in some way in our lives. It's not a matter of if, it's really it's a matter of when. And uh, why would we talk about suffering? Why would we take these weeks um, to talk about suffering? I came up with four reasons um, why it's so important for us as believers to talk about suffering from time to time from the Word of God. First of all is that we need to be able to cope with suffering in our own lives. Um, we'll see tonight through the lesson that suffering really is something that can devastate us spiritually if we don't respond the right way to it. It really, and you know, uh, many believers, their life has really been rocked uh, by going through suffering and not responding to it in a right way with faith. So we need to cope with suffering. Secondly, um, in First Peter 3.15, um, it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer of the hope that lies within you. Okay, and we know that verse. But I, I read that verse today and realized that there in First Peter, it's in the context of suffering. And a lot of times as believers, how we handle suffering in our own lives um, is a testimony to the lost. So if I can handle suffering well in a way that um that God teaches us in his word people that are not believers around me uh though they might not say it they are looking on and saying there's something different about this person because they're going through difficulties and they're handling it better than I might you know um so it's a testimony to lost also we will need to help other believers through suffering in their lives um and that really, I think, is a rare skill, being able to help another believer who is suffering. You know, um, a lot of times, it's going to be okay, it's not going to cut us. You know, somebody who's going through deep suffering in their life, they'll need some help and encouragement and advice, um, and maybe just somebody that understands what they're going through, um, and we need to be able to do that for other believers. I think too as well. Too often the church has has been has had um, kind of shallow, disengaged answers for the hard questions about suffering that people that maybe don't believe in God have, and unbelievers will sometimes ask hard questions when they're going through difficulties in their lives. And I think that this must not be. As Christians, we need to be able to um, whether people are able to or, or willing to receive it or not we need to be able to talk about what god says about suffering i think pastor said during one of our lessons and i've heard at other places too that um christianity accounts for the problem of suffering and evil in the world better than any other system of thinking and very often the answers that we find in the bible are more satisfying to the human heart than anything else um, a person's going to hear out in the world. So this is uh, important for us to talk about suffering. Re recently, um, a group called What's the Story, and this is literally the last 
a couple of years, uh, they surveyed uh, a thousand people about what questions people are asking about faith and about God in our country in 2022. And one of the six questions they came up with uh, was people are asking, can we make sense of our suffering? You know, because it, it affects everybody, you know, whether you believe in God or not. And uh, I just think it, it is important uh, that we can talk about suffering uh, from the Bible uh, to, to try to be a help to those who are unbelievers. And um, crazy as it sounds, uh, many people that have come to Christ, may, many of you may have experienced this, um, going through a hard time was a part of their faith journey to believing in Jesus and coming to the point where they put their faith and trust in Jesus and were saved. And um, so important topic uh, for us to study, uh, suffering. Well, I want to start out uh, tonight uh, by reading an account of a lady that uh, the author of the book uh, counseled. And Paul David Tripp, he is a unique pastor. Um, I think he's helped a lot of people over the years. Um, I, I think he's on in years now. Uh, in I believe he's been pastoring for many, many years. And uh, he tells a story of a lady that he counseled that really was the 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 epitome of what we're going to talk about tonight what we're going to talk about tonight is the discouragement trap in suffering we can suffer and we can become very discouraged and uh, we're going to hit this truth a few times but everybody experiences some discouragement when they face challenges okay um but it's what you do with that discouragement uh, that often is the key and um, it, when discouragement controls the way we look at the world, the way we look at life, that's when discouragement really begins to devastate us spiritually. I want to look at uh, some of that this evening. But um, I'm going to read to you a story. But just before we do that, let's just pray and ask God to help us understand his word this evening. Lord, we just thank you that we can be together. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of... Uh, being able to open your word uh, with God's people. And Lord, I just pray that you would bless uh, this study tonight. God, you know what is happening in each of our hearts. Uh, Lord, also in the lives of people around us, people that we love, people that we know that may be not believers in Jesus, uh, but Lord, people that are going through deep suffering in their lives. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would give us answers tonight so that we can cope with suffering in our lives, so that we can help other believers, and Lord, so that we can even help lost people uh, to understand the purpose of suffering in our lives. And uh, God, I just ask that you would help each of us as we think about these things, help me as I speak, help me to be clear, and uh, Lord, I pray that uh, this would be a help, Lord, to each of us um, in a real way, Lord, in a way that makes a difference on a Monday morning, Lord. And uh, so uh, we just commit this time to you now, Spirit of God, we pray it help us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, I'm reading from the book here. Discouragement is a major aspect of the spiritual war that lives in the heart of every sufferer. The question is not just whether you are discouraged. The question is what you are doing with your discouragement. Discouragement can progressively take control of the way you see yourself, God, others, 
your present, your potential, your future, God's promises and provisions, etc. Jolene dragged herself to my office. This is Paul David Tripp speaking here. As I walked behind her, it hit me that she even walked like a completely defeated person. It looked like every step took effort, as if she was pulling herself down the hall. She fell into my couch, and it was not so much that she had bad posture, but that she had no posture at all. It was as if there was this lump of humanity in the corner of the couch. Of course, her head was down. I think her eyes were closed, although it was hard to even see her eyes. She hadn't greeted me when I went to get her and bring her to my office, and she barely responded to my questions. She was as discouraged as I've ever seen a human being. As Jolene sat there and quietly and haltingly answered my questions, she didn't cry. She was way beyond tears, too discouraged to even cry anymore. She had no hope that talking to me would do any good. She was only there to quiet the people who had harangued her into my office. She had no hope that getting out of bed and doing anything would change her life, so she'd quit getting out of bed. Coming to my office forced her to put on real clothes for the first time in a long time. She had lost a lot of weight because she ate only when her husband or a close friend coerced her. When Jolene looked at God, she saw nothing to put her hope in. She had long ago quit going to church, reading her Bible, attending her small group, or even whispering a prayer here and there. Discouragement had caused Jolene to totally retreat within herself, and I wondered if I could ever get her to come out again. Now, you may be far from where Jolene was when I first met her, but her story is important. Jolene is a picture of the damage that happens when discouragement begins to rule your heart and shape the way you see everything in your life. Left unchecked, discouragement will become your eyes and ears determining what you see and hear and how you see and hear it. Unchecked, it will become the master of your emotions and the ruler of your choices and actions. Unchecked discouragement will rob you of your hope and motivation. And we've probably all been there at times. No motivation because we were discouraged. It will steal your reason for doing good things. It will rob you of your ability to trust. It will make you closed, self-protective and easily overwhelmed. Discouragement will sap you of your strength and courage. It will cause you to see negative when nothing is negative And miss the positive that is right in front of you. If given room, discouragement will tell you lies that have the power to destroy your life. Discouragement is natural for someone who is suffering, but it makes a very, very bad master. And this is—it's quite a remarkable um, story. Uh, But can you imagine being that discouraged? Maybe we've experienced that. Maybe you've experienced that. Um, But this lady, Jolene, she was so, so discouraged. And no doubt she'd been through some difficult things in her life. Uh, But like the author says in the book, it's not that getting discouraged is not a sin. Getting discouraged is not wrong. But it's how we handle it and how we respond uh, to that in our lives. Now, there, there are, of course, examples of discouragement in the Bible. Okay, there's different examples of discouragement. Uh, Jacob springs to my mind after Joseph uh, was sold into slavery. Uh, He thought Joseph was dead. And the Bible says that for many years he was just unbelievably depressed. 
Um, he really had lost the will to almost to live. Um, he was very discouraged. Uh, but uh, in our book, uh, the author gives the example of the Israelites when they came to Kadesh Barnea. Okay, now a little bit of background before I read a passage from Deuteronomy. Um, the people of Israel had journeyed through the wilderness. They had seen God work in Egypt, seen him deliver them in miraculous ways from their enemies there in Egypt. Um, they traveled through the wilderness. They'd been through different uh, challenges. But they were very, very discouraged when they arrived at Kadesh Barnea. And they were unwilling to believe that God could bring them in uh, to the land of Canaan there because they saw that there were fortified cities there. And they saw that um, the people in those cities were big. They were giants. Um, the, you remember the 12 um, spies that went uh, over to uh, spy out the land two of them came back saying this is amazing you know this is a land flowing with milk and honey god can deliver it into our hands but the other ten came back and said yes it is a land flowing with milk and honey um but it's so th these enemies that we will face are so uh, strong that we just will never be able to overcome them and so they were very discouraged and listen to what they said um, in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 19, and I'm going to read down through verse 33. It says this, And when we departed from Horeb, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness, which ye saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said unto you, Ye are come unto the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give unto us. Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee. Fear not, neither be discouraged. Notice that. Being discouraged had the potential to stop the children of Israel from going into the land God had promised to give them. Verse 22, And ye came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search us out the land, and bring us word again, by what way we must go up, and into what cities we shall come. And the saying pleased me well, and I took twelve men of you, one of a tribe. And they turned and went up into the mountain, and came unto the valley of Eshcol, Eshcol, and searched it out. And they took of the fruit of the land in their hands, and brought it down unto us, and brought us word again, and said, It is a good land, which the Lord our God doth give us. But listen to verse 26. This is where discouragement has really set in for these people. Notwithstanding, ye would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord. And ye murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakims there. And really, verse 26 through 28 there, that's a definition of discouragement. They're murmuring. They're complaining. Um, they're accusing God of literally hating them. You know, God, you hate us. That's why you're 
telling us to go into the land of Canaan. They're so discouraged. Um, uh, but So I pick up here in verse 29. And it says, Then I said unto you, Moses is speaking, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. <coughs> the Lord your God which goeth before you, he shall fight for you according to all that ye, he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where thou hast seen how that the Lord thy God bare thee as a man doth bear his son in all the way that ye went until ye came into this place. Yet in the thing, in this thing ye did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents in in fire by night and to show you by what way ye should go and in a cloud by day. You know, we'll talk about this, but discouragement had made these people totally forget all the good things God had done to them, which number one would have encouraged them, and number two would have inspired faith that God could deliver them uh, from what they were facing now and could help them. And they were so discouraged. So, discouragement. What What is discouragement and what can we do about it? What we're going to look at tonight is two results of discouragement that can help us to know that discouragement has set in in our hearts. Um, it, we haven't be, just become temporarily discouraged because of you know challenges that we face or suffering that's happening in our lives, but it's actually set in in our life. And, and discouragement becomes a problem when, again, it, 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 it begins to affect the way we see God, the way we see ourselves the way we see our circumstances that's um when uh, discouragement becomes wrong and it becomes damaging but we're going to look at two results of so uh, of um discouragement and suffering and then we're going to look at two solutions okay two things that can really help us with this result of suffering in our lives discouragement okay so first of all um as we look at the discouragement trap, there's the problem of vertical complaint, of vertical complaint. Um, this is helpful. This is a symptom of discouragement. And really, uh, when we become discouraged and discouragement sets in, we begin to complain. We begin to complain. Okay. Discouragement opens your heart to a lifestyle of complaint. And then complaint opens your heart to accusations against God. Okay? Um, and so discouragement can cause us to start complaining. And the first level of that is we start complaining to other people. Okay? Now, we're sinful. We have a tendency, if we're not careful, to complain. How many of you would... Raise your hand if you would agree with that. We have a tendency to complain. Okay? We do, don't we? I think, uh, particularly Irish people, <laughs> here to, since we're we're confessing our sins, you know, Irish people are very good at complaining, complaining about the weather, complaining about the government. You know, we're very good. But whatever nationality we're from, because uh, we're sinful, it can be easy for us to complain. But when discouragement really sets into our life, we become we complain about everything. When discouragement sets in and becomes the lens through which you see life, when it forms your assumptions about your life, and when it begins to shape your functional theology, you tend to complain. 
Chronically discouraged people find more things wrong than right. They tend to see more darkness than light, more trouble than mercy, more injustice than justice, more hate than love, and more rejection than acceptance. Although you're convinced, and this is so key, although you're convinced that you're seeing life accurately, discouragement has distorted your perspective and your assumptions about life have caused you to see one thing more than the other. You know, it's like when you put on a pair of sunglasses or, or a pair of colored glasses. Everything you see is going to be the color of those sunglasses or pink glasses or green glasses, if it's St. Patrick's Day, you know. Um, the glasses, you're going to see everything in that color. When we're discouraged, sometimes it's like we have gray glasses on and everything looks so gray. Everything looks bad. And the reality is we, we often think, oh, well, I'm seeing things the way they really are. But the fact is, because we're discouraged, it's distorted our vision. And we can't even see the good things because there's always some good things to thank God for. But when we're discouraged, everything looks bad. And so the natural reaction, we begin to complain. We complain about everything. Now, I have to admit, this is very convicting what I'm about to read. I find it challenging. Um, if you think about this, if, if we believe that God is in control of everything, if he's in control of every detail of our lives, if he's in control of the things that we cannot control, and we, we often would say we believe that. Oh, yes, I believe that. God's in control of everything. But there's no such thing as purely horizontal complaining or just complaining to the people around me. Because if I complain about a person in my life or I complain about the circumstances of my life, um, I really am saying that God has messed up. That although he's in control, he has allowed something that is not good in my life. And so we're calling God into question. You know, I can complain, you know, about, you know, some doctor that did me wrong. I can complain about, uh, you know, so some person that uh, did me wrong. You know, I had to admit this before the Lord. You know, the most annoying, destructive person in my life, God put them there. And God allowed them to hurt me, you know. Um, and so if I'm complaining about that person to others, I'm demonstrating the fact that I actually am mad at God. My my problem is with God himself, okay? And I hope I've explained that clearly. But either that verse in Romans, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Either that's true or it's not true. And if it's true, I should not be going around having this lifestyle of complaining about the challenges in my life. And a lot of times that chronic complaining, it is a symptom of the fact that I have become discouraged. That's in some way suffering has caused me to become discouraged. Now, sometimes it's not long before we move from complaining to actually accusing God. And that's what we see in our passage here. Um, the children of Israel, uh, they had moved beyond complaining. Uh, they were actually uh, speaking against God. They're saying God hates us. He actually has brought us out of the land of Egypt because he wanted us to die at the hands of the Amorites, which were 
uh, the people that lived in the land of Canaan. He actually wanted us to die, you know. Um, they're actually speaking against God. And, you know, we can get there where we're actually mad at God and we're speaking against God and saying, God, how could you let this happen? You hate me, don't you? You know? And, like, when I say that, we're, I'm not, I don't say that lightly. That is a, a very difficult place to be uh, where we're so discouraged that we're actually speaking against God. If you are suffering and suffering has left you discouraged and more given to complaint than praise, it's very important that you don't assume the accuracy and logic of your perspectives on life. In other words, don't just say, oh yeah, I'm actually seeing things accurately. Recognize, hey, I may be seeing things through a gray filter because I'm discouraged. Maybe I'm not seeing accurately. Also, um, Tripp makes this point, every sufferer needs to have their assumptions about life lovingly challenged sometimes, both by the clarifying truths of Scripture and the loving corrections of the body of Christ. And uh, that's hard to take sometimes when you're discouraged, isn't it? Where the Word of God is challenging your thinking or, you know, <coughs> another believer is saying, hey, you know, you, you've allowed discouragement to get in and you're not seeing straight friend you know that can be hard to take but we need that sometimes and so you know as we evaluate this for ourselves think about it you know could it be that discouragement has set in for you and uh, that you are not seeing things clearly uh, you, you're no longer seeing life others or God as clearly as maybe you think you do uh, maybe uh, we need to allow God and others to help us in that way. So the first uh, symptom or problem that we uh, face with discouragement as a result of suffering uh, is uh, that horizontal complaining. Hor sorry, vertical complaint. Vertical complaint. So, you know, we're complaining to other people, uh, but then... Ultimately, we're impugning God, and sometimes it turns into outright accusing God, okay? So those are symptoms of discouragement. But here's a second symptom that can happen for us, and sometimes this is the beginning of real spiritual carnage as a result of discouragement in our lives. Um, <coughs> it's the reality of moral paralysis, moral paralysis. Um, you know, I remember... Um, when Sarah was very sick back in 2019 and she was in hospital and she had Lyme disease and we didn't know what was wrong with her. And I remember in April, she was virtually paralyzed. She could not move. And it's a horrible thing to watch when somebody who has had full movement of their body and has been an active person um, becomes paralyzed. And that's the picture here that we can become morally paralyzed as a result of discouragement because of suffering. Discouragement sets in in our lives and we come, become morally paralyzed. Now, here's the, the simple thought here. This is very helpful. You know, we don't do most of the things that we do to obey and serve God simply because we know he's going to reward us. Okay, that's part of the motivation. But the root motivation is because we know who God is and we trust that he's good, that he loves us, that he's fair, that he's holy. 
okay? And we could go on. Because we know who God is, and we trust him, we do what he wants us to do. We obey him, okay? Now, when we become discouraged, and as we talked about, you know, when we start saying stuff like, you know, what the Israelites said here in Deuteronomy chapter 1, uh, because the Lord hated us, he's brought us up here so that we so that we can actually die by the hand of the Amorites. When we get to that point, it's pretty clear that we no longer trust that God is good. We become so discouraged that we don't even we don't even believe God is is good anymore. And this can this really wreaks havoc in our lives uh, because we then it's the next step is okay. So I, I've lost faith in the fact that God is good, that he's loving, that I can trust him. Therefore, why would I do what he tells me to do? And before we know it, we stop doing what God wants us to do. And um, that can become devastating in a very short time. You know, what happens, we are stuck not only with our suffering, but also with finding little reason in the middle of it to do the good things that God calls all his children to do. God calls us to do certain things that keep us spiritually healthy, wise, and strong. I don't know about you, but like when I'm discouraged, I don't feel like reading my Bible, you know? I know that I need to, but a lot of times we don't feel like it. And so what we need to do is is to go back, we'll look at this in the solution section, but we need to go back and address the fact that God is good, even though I'm going through difficulties. And so I can trust him and I can obey him because he is good. People will say things like, what difference does it make if I, and then fill in the blanks, because they're discouraged. Um, you know, it's hard to go to church and sing those hymns and songs when they see, seem so far from what I am dealing with in my life. And that's a real reality. I don't pray much anymore because it hasn't seemed to make a difference and I'm not sure God is actually listening. Okay, that's the that's the voice of discouragement there. Um, I'm tired of hearing how good God is when every day I'm dealing with stuff that no one would ever call good. And this is what I mean by the moral paralysis, is that we stop doing the good things that we know God has called us to do and will actually help us to become encouraged because we've lost sight of God's goodness. We've lost sight of who God is in our lives. So, and again, I'm reading here from the book, but what about you? Has suffering led you to a place where your trust has weakened and your obedience has waned? Are there things you once did with joy and confidence that you no longer do? Are there things you once did that you no longer do precisely because you no longer trust the one who called you to do them? Have you quit being motivated by God's promises? Have you stopped being emboldened by his presence? Are you no longer encouraged by his grace? Do you find it difficult to read his word and pray? That can be a symptom of discouragement. Is there evidence that the discouragement of suffering has weakened your resolve to do what God says is good, even in times of disappointment, pain, and confusion? Um, we still need to read God's word when we're discouraged, don't we? We do. Sometimes even more. You know, we need to go to church when we feel discouraged, don't we? 
again, you know, at times like that, we need it more, um, if anything, than in normal times, times when we're not facing suffering. So uh, the, the moral paralysis that we see. Now, the last thing I want to share with you, just two brief things. This is two solutions um, that the author gives in the book that are really, really good. Okay, they're simple but good. That's what I love about this book is in many ways it's just simple and clear, okay? And uh, maybe I'm not the smartest guy around, but I appreciate <laughs> simple and clear. I can get that. It can really make a practical difference in my life. But in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, you know this verse well. It says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now think about that for a second. Jesus knows what it feels like to experience the human condition, to suffer, to go through hard times, to be betrayed and abandoned by people he thought were on his side, to go through awful pain, and you imagine him dying on the cross. You know, that's pain such as you and I cannot even imagine, I think, you know. And he went through all of that. He knows what it's like. We tend to think of God as he's far away and he just doesn't get us. But God knows what we're going through. Verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, God is not shocked. He's not surprised. He's not, you know, bewildered when you and I become so discouraged because of suffering. He's right there waiting to help us. You know, he doesn't judge us. He's not looking at you saying, would you ever pull it together? You know, he knows what we are going through and he wants to help us. He has compassion. I love that verse in the Psalms. I believe it's in the Psalms where it says, the Lord remembers that we are but dust. He knows what we're made of. He's not shocked. Um, he's not wringing his hands. Uh, when we experience discouragement, he wants to help us. And so we need to come, like it says there in verse 16, come boldly to the throne of grace. Crawl if you have to and say, Lord, I'm discouraged. I need your help. Will you help me? Because I can't help myself right now. Will you please help me and encourage my heart? And then the second solution, I, I think this is really helpful. This is a, a helpful way to take baby steps towards being in a better place, towards being encouraged. You know, we find ourselves discouraged. We're complaining all the time. It's our lifestyle. We're even accusing God. Um, we've begun to doubt God's goodness. We've stopped obeying. Well, where, where do we start our journey back to being close to God again? Well, it's important to remember that the way to defeat the da dangerous potential of complaining is not by silence, but by praise. Instead of complaining, instead of accusing God, we need to on purpose choose to praise God and to thank him for some of the good things in our life. And again, I, I can't state it better really than um, Pastor Tripp explains it in his book. So I'm just going to read uh, here on page 128. 
The more you commit yourself to counting your blessings, the more you will have eyes to see specific blessings in your life. The more you require your, yourself to rehearse, and notice that you require yourself, sometimes we have to do that, to rehearse the many gifts God has given you in the past, the more you will have eyes to recognize his gifts in the present. Pray that God would give you eyes to see evidences of his presence, power, love, and provision in your life right here, right now. Take time to think through all the good things you have in the midst of hard things. Get a journal and every few days write down things for which you can be thankful that you could never produce on your own. The more your heart is filled with gratitude, the less room there is for complaint. The more you are given to worshipping God, the less you'll be tempted to accuse him. I've learned that no matter how hard a day is, there are beautiful things in that day that I should be thankful for, and there are reasons to celebrate the love of the one who gives them to me. As you face discouraging and disheartening circumstances, may God give you eyes to see his hand of goodness, and may seeing give you reason to trust him and to follow his loving call. I think that's so good. And really, that is a, a baby step that we can take uh, back towards God when we are discouraged to just start praising God, which is the opposite of complaining and accusing God um, and to thank him.